Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we are going to explore the field of intuition and with me is my old friend Miranda Alcott, who is an animal medical intuitive and an animal communicator. She has written a chapter called Listening to Water in the book The Healing Power of Water by Masare Emoto. Uh, this is my eighth interview with Miranda. She is an old friend. We've known her for decades through the Intuition Network, an organization of people who are professionally involved in research and training and uh, writing about the field of intuition. Welcome, Miranda. Thank you. I'm so excited to be with you again, Jeffrey. It's a pleasure to be with you. I remember the uh, first time I I met you. It was here in New Mexico. Oh, that's right. We went on a long trip together <laughs> in we a did. van uh, yes. to Chaco Canyon. Yes, we did. Uh huh. It was one a, of the earliest settlements of North America. Yeah, and, and, and one of the most important. And I remember as we were traveling back, looking out the window of the van and seeing the clouds, and it looked as though we were underwater. And I remember thinking to myself um, that this is what animals who are near the surface can see. Oh, you mean like fish? Because, yeah. no, uh -huh. it was because the clouds were uh -huh. very bulbous. It was like they were upside down. Uh -huh. The way you would see water coming down if it had any uh -huh. kind of um, falling into the water. And I thought, how interesting those who live under waterfalls. Oh. What they would see. Mm -hmm. Well, you have a, a unique ability to see things that other people don't always see. And some of that has to do with my hearing impairment. Mm -hmm. Because uh, I, I listen with my eyes as well, as my inner eyes. Mm -hmm. But I listen with my eyes. So I can be walking along and doing something, and all of a sudden my head goes, all of us do this, actually, by the way. This is intuition. Um, my head will all of a sudden look at something. Um, and sometimes my friends are amazed because I'll be walking out of a doorway and I turn around to see a spider that's this big. But I'm aware of that. I don't think it's a spider. I am called to look. And then I look and there's someone communicating and it's a spider. I see. And this is this is important, and the reason I'm saying this, Jeffrey, is because we have a tendency to think we don't have intuition. Someone else does, not us. We all use intuition every single day. We just haven't been trained or supported to understand that it happens on a daily basis. So I'll give you an example. Um, I had a meeting with the president of a university in New Mexico. And I was a little concerned about the meeting because I didn't know how he would take what I did. And sure enough, he sat down and he said, so you, um, uh, you do what with animals? You talk to animals and you listen to them? And I said, yes, I use intuition and telepathy. And he said, 
And that was all he said. He just looked at me. And I said, well, let me give you an example. And I'm praying like crazy, asking for guidance on how to do this. And what came out of my mouth was, have you ever bought a used car? And he looked at me and I said, from a used car salesman. And he started laughing. He got it right away. I said, while that salesman is talking, he's doing this to figure out what's going to get this deal. That's telepathy. And then as far as what his instincts are is intuition. So it's a beautiful marriage between telepathy and, and intuition. And we all use intuition. Why, when we're walking down the street, do we maybe move over a little bit when someone goes by? Instinctually, it's what I call whole body resonance, which is a phrase that I've coined, because I use my body like a pair of glasses. So in other words, when I am sensing something, I don't take it into my body. I don't do that. But my body is is aware of different frequencies, and so it's like fine-tuning a um, telescope where I'm sharpening the focus of what am I actually picking up. And, and everyone does it. And if people think they don't do it, they haven't listened to the news and felt their body at the same time. They haven't listened to the latest political address and saw how their body feels during this as it's going on. Do you feel that what you're being told is the truth? Do you feel that what you're sensing is accurate? Never mind what the heads are saying. What is your sense of what's going on? That's what you need to, mm -hmm. to understand. Yeah. I, I suppose another word for that is mindfulness. Definitely mindfulness, definitely. Um, and it's a choice whether we pay attention or not. Mm -hmm. it, it is always a choice. And there's so many people in my classes where they'll say, you know, I knew this, but I overrode it. Mm -hmm. I chose not to listen to it. And I encourage people in our classes, we do a lot of work to clear the way so that people can listen to their intuition and so they give themselves permission to listen to their intuition. We don't necessarily have a culture that supports intuition here. Many countries do. Ours is not necessarily one of them. There are spiritual communities that are more in tune with listening to intuition, but I'm always encouraging people as I travel around the country, listen. Just listen. That's all you need to do. You don't need to make a decision. You just need to be open to hearing what's going on internally and what you're resonating with. Well, intuition is often called a still, small voice with, within. And we have so many loud voices these, these days. You mentioned the news on television. Oh, my gosh. You hear a lot of people shouting and screaming. Right. And, uh, and, of course, you know, we're bombarded all the time at the sensory level. Mm -hmm. And I, and, and that's a different, that's a form of protection that we use in my classes where I talk to the students about how to establish what's yours and what's not and how to, uh, determine if there is something you need to interact with or not. And, it's very useful because that small, still voice, if you give it room and you allow it, becomes the stronger voice. It becomes the stronger voice. Um, I have a friend who teases me all the time. She says, I swear, Miranda, you have parking angels. Because when I go into a full parking lot in Los Angeles, I find a parking space. <laughs> um, 
And, and it's really lovely because that's intuition. I don't know to turn left or right. I just go. Mm. And that really helps. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that your body sort of functions like an intuitive antenna. It is. It is very much an intuitive antenna. I like that. That's a good way to put it. Um, I don't always rate what is coming in. That's not my job. My job is just to be aware of what's happening, just to be aware of what is that frequency, what is going on, what is it that we need to be aware of to then act upon. Um, there are many times I'm on the freeway, and Los Angeles is a parking lot, and then sometimes it's a parking lot at 70 miles an hour. And so I definitely listen to my intuition about where to go. Well, I would think that when you say you listen to your intuition, at the same time you're hearing impaired. So listening for you is is different, I should think. It is different. And I rely on my <clears throat> intuition 24-7, all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all the time. Um, and this little girl right now wants a treat, and I'm sorry, but I don't pay. We're working right now. So time. <laughs> okay, thank you. Stay. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, have, you have a new service dog. I do. She's wonderful. This, this is Alice. This is Alice. And Alice is incredible. She's 14 months old, and in a year she will be fully mine. But she's learning sign language now and learning to alert to different frequency of sounds. So she's very excited about what's taking, what's taking place because she's used to listening to me non-verbally, and we are communicating verbally and non-verbally. And so she's picking up on all of that, and that's why she's looking and trying to figure out what to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is probably her first television appearance. It is her first television <laughs> appearance. It is. Mm -hmm. You know, and um, as a friend of mine says, she's a woman of substance. So you need to know she's listening and taking notes on everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she is. Yeah. yeah. Good girl. Stay. Good. Yeah. Well, now I remember when we first uh, did an interview, you pointed out to me that uh, you had the benefit of the fact that your parents were very active in the American Society for Psychical Research. So, as a young child, you were encouraged to to be yeah. open to the psychic realm. I was. And, but I also was told not to share it outside of the house, that it was my responsibility to leave it in the house. Mm -hmm. And that was really smart of my parents because they didn't want me to shut down, but at the same time they let me know there are boundaries that have to be respected. There, and it's interesting because as I've grown and, and then learned to respect those boundaries, um, I also learned that there was a time when I outgrew those boundaries and didn't really care mm -hmm. whether other people got it or not. Yeah. Um, and in fact, there were times too, Jeffrey, there was one man that I'm thinking of now that comes to mind, an incredible artist up in the Northwest. And I used to go out to um, uh, Whitby Island and different islands to work. And I was uh, going into, I was working out of a Native American gallery, uh, Gallery of the Nations or Gallery of the People. And I remember I saw this man's work and I was very moved by it. And... I said I would love to have some of this work, but I can't afford it. And the owner talked to the artist, and he said he'd be willing to work a trade for my work. Well, I was delighted. Mm -hmm. So I was able to have a couple of pieces of his work. However, the man 
did not come in to have his appointment. And I asked, just two days before I left, I asked the owner, why is this man not coming? She said, because, Miranda, he believes you actually do what you do, and he's worried about what you'll tell him about his cancer. Oh. And I remembered thinking, yes, this is a responsibility. Everyone has their own feeling about what information they receive and what they present. It's an individual choice, especially with intuition. I don't edit, because to me it is not my job to edit. In fact, I just say for higher guidance, if there's something I'm not supposed to present, don't show it to me. I'm not going to decide what someone else needs to know or what they don't know. That's not my job. Because it's also not my job how they receive it, uh-huh. you know? Um, and so I remembered that as an important lesson because I was sorry. I wanted to meet that artist. But I thought, well, there's another lesson, you know? Well, it's an issue, I think, for people who are highly intuitive when to say something and, and when not to. I have had, through the Intuition Network, some very talented people come to me spontaneously, un, unasked. I, I have not solicited their advice. And they said, I have some important advice for you. And it turned out to be incredibly useful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've also had people come up and, and tell me, I one fellow who considered himself highly intuitive and I think had a reputation as being highly intuitive, this is about 30, 40 years ago, came up to me and tried to tell me I had syphilis, he could tell, which was total bunk. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, that's something I learned early as well. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. No. Unless a person asks for it, they're not ready to receive it. Well, I'm very glad I did receive some unsolicited advice. I am too. And, and what's interesting is perhaps those people were called and felt that you were ready yeah. to receive it. Or they didn't use that filter. They didn't I, use that. I think it's a question of discernment. That, mm-hmm. uh, Absolutely. There, it's not like there's a, a, a rule that works for everyone all That's the time. Right. That's right. But it is discernment. And also it has to do with ethics. One of the things that I teach in our classes, in the workshops, is always ask before you communicate with an animal, a, a human that is transitioned. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And that way, if there is something that comes across, if there's something that is a burning desire in, in, a, in a student, is something they feel they have to, they have to understand going in, they're taking a risk. And that's okay if they're willing to consciously say that, as long as they're also willing to say, and I'll learn either way. Mm-hmm. No harm, no foul. But if they go in assuming that because they know the other person should do what they're saying, that's a huge leap. I have uh, talked to many people, in, you know, through the work of the Intuition Network and, and elsewhere. I know, I don't know, hundreds of highly intuitive, gifted people. Mm. And uh, occasionally, uh, for example, they, they get uh, in contact with what seems to be to them, and I think probably is, a spirit. And the spirit is saying, I have a message you need to give to somebody. Mm-hmm. And that spirit is really pushing on them to do it. Uh, and sometimes it's proven to be life-saving. Yes, okay. 
So, so let me just sort of more it say about where I'm personally coming from. Yeah. Um, I was fortunate enough to respond to 9-11 at Ground Zero on site as a volunteer. Uh, before I went, because I was raised by the parents I was raised, before I went, and because of the experience I'd had for so many years, I said ahead of time, if those of you who have transitioned want me to speak to your relatives, you need to get your relatives to me. Because you can spend a lifetime, because I've been doing this for so many lifetimes, number one. Number two, because I started working at three, I learned the lesson of if you try to find someone that someone's looking for. Very different with you, Jeffrey, when you are who you are doing what you are. You have a lot of intuitives around you who want to see this, always be successful, make it whatever. And they also know you're open. Very different from most people who are not as open consciously mm. to approach. So it really has to do with who's on the receiving end of it. So, so... When I put my right foot on the on 9-11, right at Ground Zero in New York, I just said I'm only open to that which is for my highest good, the highest good of all concerned. And that way, if someone showed up, that was where I was meant to work. But I was actually working for a different agency and that I was working for um, being a crisis responder. So I did crisis response. But... That was an interesting experience unto itself to stand next to some of the men who had been there for a very long time and some who were new. As far as what they were seeing and I was seeing around them, like a, a vignette of what they were seeing and what they had seen. Uh, there was one man I know, um, stands out right now, uh, that he saw my service dog, who was one of the first crisis intervention canines, and he saw her and then wouldn't look at her. So she was at his feet, and he wouldn't look at her. And I could tell he wanted to touch her, but he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't look at her. And I said, it's okay. And we were standing with other men on site, because we were literally on site working. I said, it's okay, you can pet her. You know, he was doing that. And I started looking, realizing he was uncertain if she was actually in physical presence. That's how long that person had been on that site. Mm. And he reached down, and when he touched her, his whole body relaxed. His shoulders relaxed because she was really there, you know? So I, it's, it's a judgment call and a discernment mm -hmm. for each person who does this work. Well, since you brought up 9-11 and mm. a, a situation in which Thousands of people were killed instantly. Mm -hmm. The uh, psychic atmosphere must be very, very intense and very, very confused. It was, but I did not respond for eight months till after the fact. I see. A lot of people had worked with who was on site from wherever they lived around the world, which was wonderful. Um but I would say that the people who were most affected were the guys on site mm -hmm. because of a lot of reasons. There was a, a sign that was on the side of one of the buildings that had remained standing that said, we will never give up. We will never forget you. And that was for the people that transitioned. But the men on site who were working had to work under a sign that said, we will never give up. 
which as responders, whether they're firemen, policemen, or the construction workers, that's one heck of a thing to live under. Every single one of those guys and women are devoted. At the same time, they're working under a sign that says, don't give up, ever. And that meant that those people were exhausted and they didn't necessarily take the time for themselves to recoup in between shifts. It's a big problem for helpers everywhere. It is. I mean, you're helping somebody who has needs that are greater than your own. However, your needs have to be attended to as well. Well, you know, um, yeah, as John Roger has said for years, take care of yourself first so you can help others. Mm. And and that really has to, and it took me a lot of years to learn that. Because I always wanted to respond and do whatever I could and give everything I had and then some. But then that doesn't leave me to help someone else, you know. So I have to first take care of myself. Yeah. I would like to jump back to a comment that you made earlier. You said you've been doing this work for lifetimes. Yeah, for eons. Yeah. Tell me about that. Not perhaps in the way that we think... I'm doing this now, but in the way of responding to the needs of people who want to grow and who want to evolve. And whether they're people the way we think of it, beings, however we think of it. Um, so I'm clearly here to serve and continue serving what I have done. But I'm also more open to different forms of life here than many people are, simply because I don't have those limits. I don't have those limitations. What limitations? Uh, of thinking that the most intelligent person on this planet is human. I don't have that limitation. I don't have the limitation that one species is more important than the other. I am acutely aware of the fact that one species has taken over this planet. And that we're not doing that well right now, and that we have a long way to go. Um, but I don't, I don't draw limits between interdimensional communication or life forms that are not the same as we think of life forms. That they have to have flesh, they have to have skin. I remember someone when I was, I used to be a professional musician, still doing this work, but, and I remember we were, we were doing a USO tour up in uh, Alaska. And I remember someone saying, uh, that because we were the top, that we were the most intelligent on the planet. And as this person was saying this to me, I was looking at easily a nine foot stuffed, um, Bear. A grizzly. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, not grizzly. This was a polar bear. Oh, okay. White. And he was outside the museum. And I thought to myself, no matter how big our egos are, this guy can take us out. He's the top of the food chain. He could pretty much call whatever he wants. And I started thinking then, how can I express to people that unless we turn our egos down, we're going to miss a lot. We're going to miss a lot, you know? Someone um, on a blog that I belong to, uh, two guys were starting to put down a woman who was talking about 
um, extraterrestrial life and the exposure of it. And they were getting pretty ruthless about it. And I don't usually enter into that. My job is just to keep doing the work that I do. But finally, I had, I'd had enough. I just thought this was just so slow to me. So I wrote to them, isn't it interesting that as humans, we have such a big ego, we actually think we're the only beings in the entire universe. That ended the discussion. And I was really grateful. That didn't, that wasn't mine. That came mm -hmm. through me. Mm -hmm. But I was really grateful because I think it's important that we keep what we do in proportion to more than just us. That's why I love intuition. Because if we start listening and allow ourselves to listen, because we do listen all the time. I shouldn't say start. If we allow ourselves to listen more, we have so much more life we can live and kindness to each other. Well, early on in this conversation, you mentioned how your eye was drawn to look at a spider. Yep. And, uh, of course, in most of uh, the uh, world's mythology, spiders uh, have a certain wisdom. They do. And as a matter of fact, they're weavers. They're incredible weavers. Um, Native Americans have wonderful information. <laughs> they do, that we could all learn from. But why? yes, because spiders weave what they know in between each other and all over. When we think also that I love about spiders is when we think of the geometric shapes of, what is it called? I know that you know this, and I'm not thinking of the terminology, Jeffrey, of um, ge it's geometric patterning on this planet that is non-visible. Um, and I think of the spiders mm -hmm. because the spiders have their own system of webbing, which structures and supports and holds firm where it is. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about what we've done and how much there is to do that is non-visible, that is taking place, um, that has to do with structures. Mm -hmm. and Well, I, I think what you're getting at is the idea that we ourselves are the product of nature. And yet we think of ourselves as somehow superior to nature. That's right. That's right. That's beautifully said. We do. We think that we're above it all, which is not the truth. It's not the truth. Mm -hmm. And I can't live supporting that truth. So I live the best I can, having this incarnation mm -hmm. in physical form that is human and, and enjoying as much mm -hmm. as I can. Yeah. Well, what, what the message that I'm getting here is that, um, one of the best ways to access intuition is to be humble, to let go of arrogance and um, get in touch with one's own inner humility. Absolutely. When I, before I was born this lifetime, I remember the agreements that I made. I was present to the agreements I made coming in. I was very conscious of being born, all of that. And I was told that I had the option to be a teacher as I had been where I was before. And I said, yes, you know, that I agree to that. Well, then when I was three or four years old, I started looking around and realizing, where am I? Because these people don't learn as quickly and they're not at the same frequency as the people I was just working with. It took me many years to come to terms with that. And in fact, I went through a phase of actually anger, 
and wanting to know where the travel agent was who got me yeah, here. How to get stuck on this planet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> was I on the wrong platform? You know, like, what actually happened? Uh -huh. um, but what it was was a huge lesson in humility. Because my teachers, who were not in physical, said to me, you have a choice. You agreed to teach. You cannot teach. Or you can meet your clients where they are. So why are you here? Why are you taking our time? What are you going to do? And I really had to realize, get off your ego, Miranda. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not, you're not worth anything here unless you can come and help. Instead of, I'm going to teach. It was, wow, I need to listen. And that's part of this seeing the spider when I don't know there's a spider there and my head goes, it's my commitment to listening to what's important. As it turned out, that spider, who was smaller than my, <laughs> my nail, was a baby recluse, brown recluse spider. And it was a challenge for me because recluses, we know, are pretty dangerous yes, for us as humans. Yes, indeed. And I saw him hanging upside down, and there he was. And I took a picture of it, of him, and I said, not knowing what he was, took a picture of him, my phone, and then I sent it to a friend of mine who is retired Green Beret Special Forces guy. And he said, what, did you kill it? And I said, no, I didn't kill it. He said, Miranda, that is one nasty spider. We're talking about survival here. Mm. And I said... I'm giving it three days to leave. And he thought I was absolutely crazy. In those three days, that spider tripled in size. And then it became more aware to me, where do I put this with survival? And I said, I, I have to give you one more day to go on your way. But I need to tell you that I will be killing you if you stay because now I'm concerned about what I came to do and I don't want to be affected and not do what I came to do. He didn't leave and I had to kill him. And it was really challenging for me. But I did. I did. And so my lessons continue always. Mine continue. How do I feel about that? I have feelings about that, but I also know where I am and what I came to do. And it's not get out of the way. I don't mean that at all. I just mean that to keep my commitment, I was clear that I may lose track of him. And so I don't know if that means anything to anyone else, but it does to me. It was challenging. Well, you've, you've raised um, a deep issue, actually. And uh, the way I picture it is um, nature mm. itself. Um, there's a cruelty to nature. Every living creature uh, and and even plants, every living entity survives by ingesting other living entities. Right, right. But I didn't eat him. Nature feeds on nature. I know, <coughs> but I didn't feed. Yeah. I didn't feed on him. So now, in my case, uh, I have actually captured and released probably hundreds of spiders. Yeah. I have a special, you know, if it was a, uh, a cockroach, I'd kill it, but if it's a spider, I'm, I'm inclined to <laughs> help it out. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. No, I think they're amazing beings. And, and they're easy to capture. Yes. They are easy to capture, depending on who they are and mm -hmm. how you're feeling at the time. And yeah. because I wasn't afraid of him, 
but I also had the respect of that he has more than I do in this area. And that's not something I could overcome easily. Mm-hmm. My at least my perception at the time was that yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned uh, the polar bear. Oh yeah. Earlier, and I, I've recently been uh, learning about not just polar bears but grizzly bears as well. Mm-hmm. The males have a tendency to eat their children. Mm. Uh, it's always uh, made me kind of cringe. Like we, if you were human and ate your children, that would be considered a horrible, horrible thing. I know. I know. You know who also does that? Barn cats. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. They don't want the competition. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it depends on the species. Uh, interestingly enough, I was raised in the Disney world. You know, here, kitty, kitty. Mm-hmm. You know, I was raised that every animal got along with every other animal, which is not true. And it was a rude awakening for me to to discover, no, that's not because of the raising in this culture versus the information I came in with. Mm-hmm. Interesting dilemma, the d- d- dichotomy, really. So, amongst the viewers of uh, New Thinking Aloud, one of the issues that keeps coming up over and over again are people like myself who think, why can't we all just live together in peace and harmony? And in fact, given the problems that we're facing with climate change and uh, pollution and uh, uh, nuclear weapons and so on, it'd be great if we could have one world government or one world, uh, I don't know, it doesn't even have to be a government, a federation, something yeah. of that sort. And then I have other people who are like, no, no, that would be horrible. You can't enforce something like that on us. It would become tyranny. And uh, But it, we look in nature and we see on the one hand, nature is very cruel. On the other hand, nature is very harmonious. Mm-hmm. But nature takes care of itself. Yeah. Nature omits or overpopulates, whatever. We're the ones who've changed that balance. But it's true. There, I mean, um, I don't know that there's a one federation in nature, but there is an agreement that we're all in nature. Mm-hmm. So that means we are a part of that system that's agreed upon, where some of us die by the hands of, by the teeth of, you know, that... That does happen, or not now, mm-hmm. or not now. Yeah, you know, I, one of the questions that comes up with the animals about euthanasia, which is a very deep question, yeah. uh, and and people say, I always, want, I want my animal to die naturally, and I share with them, dying naturally is not on the kitchen floor. To an animal, dying naturally is where their species originated, and. I don't know about you, but I don't have the want to put my service dog out for the coyotes. Mm-hmm. So, therefore, it falls on me, the responsibility <clears throat> of, of how do I feel and what's going on. That isn't mine. It's how does she feel and what's going on. And we need to ask her, which is why I have so many veterinary referrals, because they get to the place they are in the position of, I want to help this animal no matter what. And then they get to a place where they feel that the animal really needs help to go and the human is not ready. And because I'm a human counselor as well, I work with that that at that intersection. But I've had animals come into my practice that are on three legs 
and can't see and can't hear. And you think, obviously, this animal's ready to go. And they go, nope, not ready. Then I've had animals not skipping in, but they come in and they say, get me out of here. This cancer's eating me alive. So it isn't up to us. And I don't know about you, Jeffrey, but I'd want to be asked. Mm-hmm. I'd want to be asked. So it, it, these are all things that we research and, and learn from. Everyone has to make their own decisions. And I, and I support that. You have to make your own decision. Well, we we live in a culture where I think, um, you know, if the dog pounds routinely euthanize dogs. I know. I mean, every day, probably. Yeah. Oh, every day. Yeah, every day. That's true. But when I look at our culture as a human culture on this planet, I look at what you were talking about, a one world or a way to do that, which is so wonderful to think of doing that. However, I'm not sure... Those are all the lessons that we came to learn. And I'll, and I'll explain to you what I mean. When I was 19, I was attending a meeting of some spiritual teacher. And I think there were maybe 25, 30 people in the class. And he made the comment of, but of course, this planet is all about love. And at that point, I started shaking my head. And he said, Miranda, do you have something to say? I said, yeah. I said, this is not a planet of love. This is a planet of war. And he said to me, can you think of a better place to learn about love? And it stopped me in my tracks because I had never reversed it. I had never thought of it that way. I had never thought that, oh my gosh, if you have to make a stand about love, you learn a lot more about love than if you take it for granted. I don't know if that makes sense. But. Well, here, here's how it makes sense to me, because one of the, the logo that I use, you've seen it for this program, is the rainbow yin-yang image. Yes. And, uh, one of the interesting things about the yin-yang in general is that uh, everything seems to contain within it the seed of its own opposite and eventually becomes the opposite. I think that's why some people are afraid of what they think of as the new world order because it could start out very harmoniously and end up as easily as a tyranny or vice versa. Exactly. Exactly. So how do you like your time here, Jeffrey? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm still trying to figure it out. But but I I, I love the process of trying to figure it out. This This is a fascinating planet. Yeah, it is. It is a fascinating planet. We have so much, there's so much that's exciting. Mm-hmm. You know, people that have been, that open themselves up to different ways of traveling, people that open up themselves to different ways of learning and hearing. And, um, I mean, I just think that for, if I can for just a moment mm-hmm. say that this has be my fourth service dog for my hearing impairment. Mm-hmm. And I am working with someone who works with dolphins, who worked for 10 years training dolphins using dolphin sign language. And I use in American sign language, but in English order. Mm. Uh, and I asked her, since she's training this dog for me, um, can't we use non- sounds that humans don't normally hear? And she said, what do you mean? And I said, well, if I'm sitting in a class and someone needs to alert me or something, or my phone goes off with a text, 
because I've forgotten to turn my phone off, the whole room turns and looks at me. I would love it if whatever the sound was for the text was a, a silent sound. Do you need to leave right now? I think he needs. she needs to leave. Okay, Alice, there we go. Good girl. Good girl. Thank you. Um, that the whole room doesn't need to know Miranda has a text. So I have asked this trainer, can't we use frequencies that are in the dolphin territory, which some of which dogs hear mm -hmm. somewhere in there, and feed it into the phone that alerts me for a text so that my dog will alert me to a sound that no one else hears. Mm -hmm. This is a fascinating planet. Yeah. Because the fact that we have technology, that we can even have this discussion, is very exciting. Well, one me. of the most fascinating things about it right now is the incredible rapidity of technological change. Yes. Which is also a danger, but yeah. uh, but it's also so exciting to see it's very exciting. things are possible today that uh, weren't possible when I was a child. Yes, exactly. And I consulted with two scientists about, well, so what if we get this frequency that dolphins can, can hear and mm -hmm. dogs can hear, but humans can't? So what? Like, where are we going to put it? How do we know it'll get on my phone? And they researched it and said, Miranda, the bandwidth for an iPhone is so large, this will work. Uh -huh. Now, that's technology working for you. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is just really exciting. So I'm excited because it'll give me more privacy and it'll give me more information. Mm -hmm. And we're now working with um, Amy Brown, who's this amazing trainer, um, to alert, have my dog alert depending on what the sound is in a different body language. So whether she spins, whether she noses me, whether she paws me, whether she cocks her head, any of that, we can now send to a certain sound so that I know exactly why she's alerting me. How interesting. Instead of having uh -huh. her just tap me on the leg and then have to search in my environment. Mm -hmm. So the possibilities for uh, interspecies communication are uh, growing as a result of technological innovation. They are. They are. Science mm -hmm. is kind of starting to catch up. but yeah. Well, I think uh, many years ago, um, John Nesbitt, a futurist, uh, talked about, I think, what he called high-tech, high-touch. I like that. The idea that as we become more technologically sophisticated, we can also go deeper within ourselves. It, it, our technology doesn't have to take us away from our own deep source. Yeah. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. I, you know, I know everyone enjoys um, communicating with the dolphins. They are so uh, willing to communicate with us. And so, as you know, because you've experienced that, mm. which is so lovely, um, as have I. And I, that's why I also get excited about this is something that scientists or people who don't really think you can communicate with dolphins to see this come in something they can understand. This is something they can see on an oscilloscope, mm -hmm. you know, that this dog is responding to some, to a sound that they're not hearing, yeah. you know. Yeah. So that's very exciting. Mm -hmm. Well, and you're talking about things that the normal human organism doesn't perceive at all, certain sound frequencies. Right. Uh -huh. Perceive, right, consciously uh -huh. in the way we're used to hearing. Right. But at the same time, you talk about how because of your hearing impairment, you can sometimes hear with your eyes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that really intrigued me because um, 
we can th- we think of that normally as synesthesia. If uh, you, I'm synesthetic, absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah. And um, researchers are now in parapsychology, um, such as my friend Ed May, with whom I've done an interview, of the opinion that synesthesia may be one of the important doorways into parapsychological paranormal functioning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Ingo Swan. <laughs> that makes sense to you. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, in a way, your hearing impairment has been a gift. Oh, absolutely. Oh, my goodness. You know, I was a professional musician before I lost my hearing. And I'm a much nicer person now. I am. Mm-hmm. Um, because I've had to slow down to listen to not come from an ego place, to understand and feel what that person's really saying. Not what they're saying. What are they really saying? What are they really saying? That's what's important. Do you know the number one complaint, as a counselor, I learned this and I thought it was fascinating, the number one complaint on this planet from the humans is they don't feel heard. That's international. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so how important is it to listen? And listening to water is a joyful thing. Do you know what something that I always found wonderful is the Cherokees have, Cherokee or Comanche, I, forgive me uh, if I have confused, but I believe it is, uh, it is Cherokee, has a word for water, and it's long person. It means long person. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely love that. And and what's the first thing that we see dogs do when they get near water? They give the play stance and they bite it. <laughs> and they give the play stance. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they get all excited. And we're standing there saying, isn't that cute? And the dog is playing mm-hmm. with another being. Mm-hmm. So there's so much there. And then there's praying mantis, which I know all of us have a fascination with, or many of us do. You know, see how much we can learn. Someone asked me one time years ago, when before we really had the grid concept as people, that if the grid went down of our electricity mm. in that area, and they said to me, oh my gosh, what will we do for communication? And I said, look to the sky, because the birds that migrate, <laughs> you can ask for information in certain ways if you if it comes to that and you need to do that. You know, so there's so much around us that we can use. It's just very exciting. Mm -hmm. Well, Miranda Alcott, this has been a delightful conversation. I'm so glad you came to Albuquerque. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) I'm here to get a service dog, and I'm excited, and I'm (laughs) so glad to see you. And I know you'll be back again, so uh, I plan uh, to have more conversations with you. I look forward to it. I know we have a great deal to talk about, the afterlife, medical intuition, So, thank you so much for being with me. Thank you, Jeffrey. It's always a pleasure, and I always learn so much from you when we're together. Thank you. And thank you for being with us. 